So we're rolling. Cool. We are live. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. And my name is Mark, and I have a passion that you should feel in control of your life. And so what I do is I help you get control of that business. Because for entrepreneurs, that's the way, the best, biggest, fastest way to get control of your life and running that business that you want to have so you can live the life you want to live. And so part of how I do that is by letting you listen in on conversations between me and somebody else who's geeking out on something that's really important in the entrepreneurial world, digging into a subject you probably already know something about, but this time we're digging in and and cracking open the secrets or at least the details that can help you unlock your challenges in your business. And so today I've got Daryl Evans, who's just a fantastic entrepreneur, got lots of experience behind him, but is particularly passionate about marketing and some of the things that dig into that. And I really want to open the conversation and talk about marketing in today's world and your passion about what you call the mind shift method. And so welcome, Daryl. How are you, sir? Mark, I am fantastic. Thanks for having me on the show. So what are you seeing right now uh, for companies and what are you recommending for companies who see huge opportunity? I, I see a lot of companies right now who, who see and are almost paralyzed by the, the opportunity uh, and they want to take advantage of it, but, but, they're, but they're stuck or having problems or, or just in, in indecision mode. What do you, what do you, what's your recommendation for people in that spot right now? Wow, you're gonna hit me hard with that big old that big old question right out of the yeah, gate. Man. So let's yeah. uh, let's dive in. So companies that have great opportunity, obviously, let's recognize that they've done well, right? They've done the hard work to get to a point where, uh, as I talk about in the world of mind shift, we talk about the road from inspiration to realization, and of course, when life knocks us down from breakdown to breakthrough, and navigating that as an entrepreneur is a growing firm from startup to you know small operating to growth mode is challenging in and of itself. And so when you get to the point where things are actually okay, you know, like to say sometimes cruising altitude, right? You get Mm -hmm. the business out of starvation mode and you're not uncertain where revenue is gonna come from. You have a customer base, maybe you've got stability to a certain degree, but now everything's good, right? Everything's kind of good. So I usually say from a world of marketing and especially today, there is no shortage of noisy opportunities. And I learned a long time ago that there's never an opportunity that you have to take. Yeah. Because there's right? always going to be another opportunity. And so so the, the first piece of thought that comes is more in the mind before we get into tactic. And this is yeah. where I work with my clients. They're always thinking they're going to miss out on yes. something if they yes. don't do something. And that's where we have to pump the brakes. So one of the first questions Mark always like to ask is, is what if we don't? Yeah, do I, mean, I, I love Whatever you're hitting the nail is. exactly on the head. <laughs> it, it, I, I've really started to coach my clients around this concept of you got to learn to say no. This pain you're having right now is entirely self-inflicted. You know, the, the times of scarcity, yes. it's depressing when you have to lay people off. It's difficult when you got to reduce salaries, but it's very tangible. And now we've got people crushing their employees, crushing themselves, working crazy amounts of hours. And guess what? Guess what they're doing? They're bringing it on to themselves because they've brought that scarcity mentality. We can't say no. Why would we ever say no? Because we were just in this moment of not having enough. And so how do do you get people to kind of settle down? Yeah. You know, the so the idea is, is what if we don't do anything? But before we even get to that question, sometimes it really starts, Mark, at saying, okay, where do we want to go from here? 
right? So in, uh, in the entrepreneurial journey, at least in my world of 30 years of multiple businesses, six businesses now, uh, 11 years with, with a company currently with my business partner, the question is always evolving. Now that we're here, where do we want to go next? And so it always comes down to this sort of let's, what's our new North Star? Like, what do we want to do next? And so in that question lies a new problem that we have to now close the gap on. And I say that uh, in marketing and sales and the growth of any enterprise, even the growth of your own personal being, your personal wellness, your personal mindset, your personal growth, there comes a point where you have a new distinction about a new desire or a goal or a destination. It's a new trip that you want to take. The reality now becomes, okay, let's just unpack the marketing side of it. I always come back to what's working now. Like what is working now? Because in some cases I come into companies and the other 13 things we could do don't matter because they take a hard level of investment. Uh, I'll give a, a, an easy example. Today, let's just say Google ads are working. ROI is there, consistency is there. It sits at the bottom of the sales funnel, let's say, which is you know ripe for the sales team, meaning you're not getting leads that are waiting, wanting to buy in two years. They're ready to buy today. They're ready to have a conversation with your sales, sales team. So the first thing we want to say is like, are we actually optimized to scale up that channel before we start jumping over to, well, we maybe should go to Facebook or maybe we should go to YouTube mm. or maybe we should work on SEO. Maybe we should, Mark. However, <laughs> let's audit and make sure we're maximizing. You know, I played sports growing up, Mark, and uh, didn't get to the pro level, all that stuff. That wasn't my calling. However, I'm such a fanatic about sports and it does I played football baseball basketball coach football and basketball but I see this in every level of sports and that is if I've got a play or I coach defense and I play defense if I've got a defensive framework that works let's just make it up for those people who listen to football no football yeah. sorry if you don't <laughs> but let's just say my scheme I'm running a 4-3 four down line or four people on the front line three linebackers etc why on God's green earth would I change that structure to a 3-4 or a 5-3 or a 5-2 or a, a dime package if it's working? <laughs> so so I, I, I make this oversimplification because a lot of times it's, it's not that we have to do more. It's, and I've done this in my life and my business numerous times. Uh, I will double down on what's working to make sure we're squeezing everything we can get out of that channel and that means optimization first yeah. it means first it means let's audit what's working number two let's look for optimization points or friction points that could make us better there and maybe the investment needs to go there uh, maybe our creative needs to be better to double or triple our roi in that category so without belaboring the point here um, companies that are doing well ceos founders at the c-suite who have dollars and ability to do a lot, a lot of times it's getting back to this, what I call minimal, viable, you know, opportunity thinking. And a lot of times it starts with what they're already doing mm -hmm. well. And let's make sure that stopped working or has been maximized. And a lot of times I'm just completely setting aside any and other thoughts until otherwise uh, necessary. So I, I love that. I want to unpack the metaphor a little bit because there's actually a lot of gold in there. 
in the in the sports world, in the football world in particular, um, there's a lot of the the intent of setting up plays on the football field is uh, most of the time to deceive the other team. And so that's actually a rational reason to change your scheme because you want to keep them off balance. But uh, what, you, what we find is some of the best coaches, and particularly the historic coaches, they're like, we're going to do this till it stops working. Because, you know, I, I would love to, to fool them, but this is working. <laughs> and, yeah. and they can't, they cannot seem to get, uh, we, our defense is super strong right now. It's bulletproof. And so like, don't change it. Like they see what we're trying and they can't stop it. And so don't change it. And then when it doesn't work, okay, now we have to, have to move that forward and so in the business world the, the customers are not actually trying to deceive us i mean there's a whole buyer seller dance and we're going to talk about the selling there is some of the deception that built into that but in, in general our, our good customers are actually trying to find the solutions to their problems and so they're not mm-hmm. actually working against us so we don't need to change the scheme to, to make it harder and so why does an entrepreneur why does a visionary or even uh, usually it's the, on the executive team uh, it's not maybe on the sales team there's people who, who do this but uh, working closest to the money that's the that's in my mind I say that a lot you're, you're describing like look we've got an almost deal or we've got an actual deal and what can we do to optimize the dollars in our hands as opposed to optimizing future dollars that may never realize and and, and that's where it's highly inefficient to spend a lot of time in future potential high risk dollars it's very efficient to say what's actually in our hands and how can we maximize that Could, did we maximize this deal did we take a deal that's profitable or not profitable and so really working to optimize optimize what's in your possession Mm -hmm. is logical and oftentimes effortful to a a visionary entrepreneur who doesn't actually like that part of the process and is really trying to skip steps and make this more automatic and say like, you know, I don't want to do the hard work. I would like it just to rain better opportunities. Uh, And so it's just, it's, it's, it's a way of trying to, uh, Take the easy way out. It's trying to shortcut and magic bullet when really it's uh, you've got everything you need right in your hands. Absolutely. And you make a great point, right? The it is hard work. You know, I'm, I'm you know, we have a company that's doing about 30 million dollars. It comes to mind and they've done it extremely organically. Not a lot of stuff going on online, which is what we specialize in. And what they thought they would do is since they're very cash rich, uh, cash flow is great. Profit margins are fantastic. They just decided that because at the bottom of their sales process, their sales funnel, whatever you want to call it, they're at a 1.13% conversion rate traffic to, I don't want to get into the exact number, but they had a 1.3 conversion rate or 1.13 conversion rate. They just figured, well, let's just add more money to the top of the funnel, which is what typically people do in the marketing world. When you have cash, it's easy to write checks or swipe credit cards or put it into the online system. And they think that, well, if we just put more at the top, Right. That works. It does work, but it's not efficient. Right. The other way we decided was, what if we because if we do that now, we're taking dollars from other areas of opportunity in the company, operations, growth, staff. It could be tech. It could be CapEx. You know, it could be all kinds of things that you could be needing those dollars from. So we decide to start optimizing from the bottom up. So anytime I'm working and we always are talking about marketing, we start with where are the results today? So that means let's look at 1.13 and see if that's normal for your industry, number one. Let's see if other companies are outperforming that number. Let's not go up to, up to, and up to these other uh, what I call traffic channels or uh, impression channels or eyeballs channels because kind of the way I usually talk about it is like let's not go get more eyeballs. Let's see if we can take the current eyeballs and figure out what they're 
what you know what's keeping them from buying from us today why did they choose our competitor and so i start with a very it's boring it's mundane but it works let's talk to the people who didn't do business with us yet yeah right well so I, I, the question you're <laughs> at right now I, I i i love that that idea but i like to take it even further than that because you're talking about where's the found where's the bottom like we're going to add more eyeballs so what about the eyeballs we've got and i'm saying what about the customers we've got what That's about right. you know what you know well all the way on the operations side we're we're busting at the seams and we want to take advantage of the opportunity and we want to grow do you really have an understanding of your target market? What percentage mm-hmm. of the customers you have are people you like hanging out with <laughs> that are actually profitable for you, right. that fire your team up, that get them excited to come back into the office and do more work and work a little bit longer? Or are you grinding your, your team down and therefore creating inefficiency and slowness and a difficulty to do great work for the next batch of potentially target market clients? 100%. 100% agree. You know, talking to your customers, uh, I'm, I'm actually talking about this a lot lately, and it's this, I, this newer or updated idea of life cycle marketing. You know, life cycle mm. marketing in the old school days when I learned it in the 90s, you know, there's this life cycle. Someone is unaware that you even exist, so they're technically not even, they don't even care, you don't care about them. The next step is someone recognizes they've got a problem that you your company product service could potentially solve now they become problem aware but they still don't know who you are and now they go on a journey to figure out how they might solve the problem and it could be numerous solutions yours or others or not even in the category that you're in and that's something that we have to think about in marketing which is how do we show up as experts and authorities and build trust even if we're recommending a solution that isn't ours and it's a distinction I learned this in the 90s that is point out all the options for this now prospective customer client to solve their problem. And what's really funny is it's like, well, when I share this with people, I talk about my days when I was in the mortgage industry. And when I was in the mortgage industry, I owned a mortgage company. Here was the reality. They'd been referred to me or they saw through one of my marketing, uh, I was a huge consumer direct advertising guy, which was where I built my chops in copywriting and being able to take strangers and turn them into customers and really narrow in niche focused marketing. And we can talk about that if we get there. But the point of the matter was when I was in front of, back then it was in front of because the internet was a little, uh, it was early days. I wasn't on the internet till 2002. Uh, This is 94, five, six, seven. And I'm sorry, that was in real estate. But anyway, I'm early days. We're, we're talking face-to-face meetings or phone calls. Here's what I would tell them right out of the gate. We're going to have a conversation about your objective of getting a home loan because that, that was the mortgage side. And I'm curious. The first thing I would do, Mark, was say, I'm curious, where do you bank? And let's just say they said Wells Fargo, Bank of America, one of the big, 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 big mm-hmm. uh, yeah. banks. And I'd first say, before I ever get into the pre-qualification questions, I would say, Mark, let me ask you a question why didn't you apply for the home loan at Wells Fargo? And then they would, I wait for the answer. Why am I doing that? I'm inviting, I'm doing something in sales called inviting the objection or I'm inviting uh, the scent of an objection that could show up to me down the road after I've wasted a bunch of time. It's normal for me to expect that they would go do the deal at their bank. So they would tell me, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I just have a checking account there. I don't, you know, I don't think I'm going to get approved or whatever the case was. I just want to know, but I also want to let them know it is an option. Second thing is, I would say, do you have a friend who's in real estate? Because this was another big common <laughs> problem. Do you have a friend in real estate? Because the friend in real estate knows someone who's in banking, right? So I'm like, do you have a friend in real estate? Oh yeah, yeah, I know this friend, Mark. Uh, okay, well, did you talk to Mark about your wanting to buy a home? 
did they refer you to anybody? Because I'm really trying to figure out where does my competition lie. So what am mm. I go? Where am I saying about that? The the opportunities to uh, in marketing in this life cycle stages, you've got unaware to aware, aware they've got a problem, they don't know you. From aware they've got a problem to searching for solutions, they still may find a solution, but they still may not find your solution. From your solution, now if we can get you there where they see your solution, let's be clear that they have other choices. Once they have other choices, now you have to start doing the real work. Like now you have to have USP and differentiator and build relationship. And I usually say, whoever builds trust with the client first, uh, if a product is similar, usually is going to win the deal. And so in sales, we always say, especially online, this is where a lot of companies usually who've done really well before the internet or before digital uh, access, they're used to working with people that they've got, they build a lot of trust with or they've had a lot of exposure to. And the internet's different because, for example, we generate leads online through all the different channels we're talking about, Google ads, SEO, Facebook ads, you know, it depends on what the company is and what channel we're using. The reality is the person who filled out and took the action on your ad to your landing page, to your form, they did it six other times, statistically speaking. So where sales teams are making mistakes and companies when they're in this world of marketing online and trying to transition or get stronger, they fail to fault. They, they don't have a system for fast follow-up because they're used to working with referrals or people they met at industry events and they built relationships offline, but they don't realize that that customer prospect online doesn't know who you are and doesn't care yet about what you've done in the past for other people. So the speed, and there's a study that was done in 2012, it's published in Forbes, and it was a, these were top uh, Fortune 1000 companies, I think, that were in this study, that 70% of CEOs felt that, uh, sorry, in a study, 70% of CEOs reported back after doing this exercise with this group that their sales teams weren't following up with internet leads, leads that they were paying for digital acquisition, digital customer acquisition, within 72 hours. 70%. They're not. Not following up in 72 hours. Now, here's here's the rule of thumb. Is it always possible? No, it's not always possible, but here's the rule of thumb. If you get, and by the way, I learned this in 2005 when I was competing with Quicken Home Loans, which is now Rocket Mortgage, okay? So I own a mortgage company when I found out these hard stats and it got validated uh, in this (laughs) Forbes article 10 years later, (laughs) roughly. But here's the thing. When someone hits your website, and there are multiple ways to do it, and they fill out a form or they engage with your chat, whatever that is, you've got to get in touch with them and get to them within five to 10 minutes, ideally, 30 minutes if next case, and that isn't to sell them something. It's to make contact, right? Yeah. In the old world of marketing, the f- it was a forced process where you couldn't go anywhere but to call the company or to engage right. in a meeting. So the contact process was forced. Today, it's not forced because consumers have control, and I talk about this all the time. So when we think about okay, I've got all this money to start moving to my next direction. First of all, where do we want to go? Then we figure out, like you said, niche, who, the, who are they, and where do we find them? That's, that's one of the other questions, Mark, yeah. we're always trying to say. Where do we find so, them for sure? Yeah, go ahead. So, so we're creating a polarity here, and I want to pull, pull this apart because uh, you have to have both of these understood. And one is the tactics. And particularly... I mean, a lot, of, a lot of my clients, a lot of people listen to this are ne- not necessarily highly transactional digital inbound stuff. Some of them are very yeah. is dev and personal stuff. And, and some of the stuff applies, this first part, not as much. 
what I'm about to say might more. First part of this is if you do have inbound and it is digital like that, uh, my personal experience, and to your point, you've got the data, and my personal experience is that person who reached out to you is ready right then. That's, that's the time. When, when do they want to buy from you? Right then. They, people do not go online and submit a form. In most cases, um, and that, that's the time they're most ready to buy. And there is some tire kicking in certain situations. But if somebody does go to the effort to kind of push through the anonymous form and, and send information for you, you kind of have an obligation to, to take them out of play. Because if they're doing that right then, they're in kind of speed dating mode. They're like, I'm going to get this done and I'm going to get somebody to have a conversation with so I can get this off my plate. So even if they're not actually going to buy in the moment, they are trying to start a relationship in the moment and so they can get some of this stuff off their plate. So you have an instantaneous response, which is not to say that you're going to rush the rest of the process. It is to say that you're going to lose potential opportunity for somebody who can connect with them sooner. But if you, once you get that connection started, you can follow your process with discipline. And you can say, here's how this works. Over the next two or three weeks, we're going to, we're going to figure out whether this fits together or not. You, you do not have to go into desperate mode in the sales process, but in marketing mode, you've got to be on point because the opportunity will close on you. And if that being true, you have to have done the work of who is our best customer? Because if you're in this mode, you haven't done that work and you're trying to acquire customers and these inbounds are coming all over the place, you've got non-qualified and you got random things, you get caught up in the, the scarcity and I can't lose these, miss these opportunities and I'm turning them over to my sales team and they, they're just trying to follow the process you will manufacture problems for yourself. You will be in a situation of too much opportunity and, and not being able to serve your best customer and not being able to serve your, your staff and your mission and the, your best contribution. Because you started talking, what's our USP? Well, that's even that secondary work. The primary work is, what is your purpose? What are you great at? What's your core focus? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What's your superior skill? Who is the best customer? Who do we like hanging out with? Who's easy to work with for us? And who's, who's going to feel like we're easy? to work with so you can build that into your marketing and, and only be soliciting and eliciting uh, inquiries from people who are like that and when you do that you've done a lot of no work in advance you've repelled a lot of people who would have uh, otherwise wasted your time and so when you do bring those people in it's actually just a lot easier for your system to process more of that because you're built for it yeah absolutely i couldn't agree more so in 2001 i learned a concept called five-star prospect and off that was of course back then it was offline but then we built it into how you do it online so how do you do marketing well where you're only putting your message in front of five-star prospects and let's say they're not a five-star prospect when they engage how can you filter that so your sales team isn't bombarded and bogged down with the prospect that isn't a five-star prospect and so you can do things very simple like segmenting right at the point of engagement you know i can't tell you how many companies we work with where their forms are just name, address, phone number, or name, website, phone number, email, and that doesn't tell you anything, and you're wasting a huge opportunity because almost every great marketing automation tool out there today, including what we use, which is HubSpot, the reality is you can segment right at the point of engagement when they fill out the form and get them, uh, we do what we call custom properties, and filter those. And then the next level is based on what they might have filled out on that form route them into an appropriate level of follow-up you know it's it's just it takes a little work to do it takes a little mapping to do a little simple mapping to do but uh, you're absolutely right you lose the opportunity if you don't have a framework to uh, to follow up at that point of engagement they want to they have raised their hand they've raised their hand in some way shape or form and they've they've entered what we call that problem aware 
who is considering an option mm-hmm. to solve the problem and you're one of them now because they found you through whatever marketing channel, whether it's SEO, Google ads or something like that. So this kind of opens the door to the mind of the buyer, the needs of the buyer, for, especially when you're doing this programmatically and digitally, you've got automation tools, but this is very applicable to when you're not this idea of if you're, if this is very manual process for you, if you've got a sales team or if it's you as the principal or out there in the field, meeting people and, you know, networking or whatever your method of encountering prospects are, what I, what I see repeatedly is that, um, the, the organizations who grow the fastest with the least amount of friction are led by people who really, really understand their customer, what they need, what they want, yeah. what they feel. And there's very hand in glove. Um, either they were that person in a past life or maybe share those those values in, in the current life. But whatever it is, however they acquire it, they have it. They really can identify with their their best customer. And so when people start to go to digital in particular, there starts to become like, like, how do I get this right? How do I get the feedback? What do you tell people, but this, particularly those visionaries who really have the highest burden to own to own that? I mean, Steve Jobs is known for answering customer support emails. You know, he knew yeah, what his yeah. customers needed and felt. And <laughs> yes. so everybody's got that obligation. Every visionary entrepreneur's got that obligation. What do you tell people who are kind of like, hey, let's run some ads? And how do you really capture that voice? You know, so I, I when I think about the visionary and I think about, you know, who got to the, who is at the place where they now have a new direction, a new destination. I would just say this, if even if digital isn't your first or even your second, third or fourth interest in this next new daunting adventure, be present for the information and the education. Even if you're not going to be the tactician, even if you're not going to oversee it, even if the CMO or head of marketing in some cases, and sometimes this is a huge mistake, when they put head of sales involved now with head of marketing, it is an absolute disaster um, because the sales mindset and the marketing mindset are different. At some point, they look the same, but they're not. The reality is just as a visionary, visionary, um, get the information. Here's what I see a lot. I see the visionary who has a successful company who is ready to write the check for the budget, $100,000, $200,000 budget, whatever it may be. And they just write the check, but they appoint someone who one of three things, either the person is youthful in experience. It doesn't matter how old they are. It doesn't matter if they just got out of college or if they just changed careers or they yeah. just got a certification. Yeah. The reality is execution in digital is not just pushing buttons inside of Google ads or Facebook ads. It's human psychology, consumer behavior. It's understanding your ideal customer. It's understanding how they think, how they feel, how they act, and how they uh, speak in their normal daily life. Unfortunately, youthful marketers who can, anybody can go set up a Facebook page, a Google page, a LinkedIn page, and all those platforms are designed to take your money. That's how they make money. 96 or so percent of Google's revenue comes from Google ads. Facebook's the same thing. Don't be mad at the platform. (laughs) Get, get, Get the education, right? But it doesn't mean you have to become the expert at the platform you have to be ex- you have to become an expert at the three ways you can use those platforms so that's really what i tell people as visionaries you're not expected to be involved but when you're ready to write the check and make the investment to go to the next level be present in those upfront meetings with whoever the provider is or your team and also be ready to make the investment in getting that person educated so if that's a younger experienced person they just don't have enough reps on the platform and the platforms don't teach you how to uh, they don't teach you how to generate leads. They teach you how to build campaigns. 
So you could take the Facebook ads course and the Google ads and get all the certifications. I see them all the time because I interview all these people. They come in with the certification thinking that makes them a good marker. It does not. It makes you an educated person mm -hmm. just like when you graduated from college. You now have the information, but now you don't have the experience, right? It's like, I know what a football is. Doesn't make me a football player. I can hold a basketball <laughs> like LeBron James. Doesn't mean I'm a player, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I think visionaries have to be present through that process so that they understand what's the new dynamic, especially if they were offline, because they want it right. to work like it did offline. It doesn't work that way online. So that's, I don't want to, does that someone no, answer your That's question? great. I love it. And I, and, I, and I think a lot of visionaries, just like any entrepreneur who came from kind of a self-taught street smarts way, there's even people who are not, uh, they encounter a discipline in the business that they don't fully understand. And then they kind of steer around it like like the, some of the most successful entrepreneurs i know come from a sales background and so yes, what, what that means is they uh, they understand selling and it doesn't scare them the 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 crafts people who have a skill set as they grow up sometimes they kind of bump their head on selling and they're like i don't get it <laughs> i'm gonna hire somebody to do that and that's usually a recipe for a problem and, and so for marketing it's kind of the next level up if you manage to get scrap your way to selling well enough like how do you how do you really do develop and do create some demand and lead generation a lot of times the visionaries or or the senior leadership is sort of like, I don't fully understand that. Um, I, I'll hire a, a marketer. And so there's a lot of disciplines inside of marketing, many, many disciplines, like more than we can even really enumerate. Absolutely. But it's, if you're talking about public relations and digital and paid and inbound and outbound and, and telemarketing and, all, uh, yep. and programs, <laughs> all brand strategy, creative, um, all that sort of stuff, like forget that for a second. Just understand that there's, I think, three three tiers that you need to break apart in your mind. And the first one is the brand strategy, uh, which is different than what I call expert tactics, which is different than sort of programs and follow through and, and that kind of thing. And there's really even a kind of a fourth, which is like the creative, which is actually, I think, what people most get distracted on. Like, oh, I know somebody who can do great graphics and logos. And like, that's my marketer. Yeah. Like, no, that's not your marketer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, nope. That's not the They're missing great link. Creative. They're great at creative. <laughs> so, so you probably need that. But like, you know, you can write that down as you can get that. You can buy that lots of places. And so the expert tactics, I think, is missing in a lot of cases. And you got to really be clear that somebody has to know how to sort out lots of ways we can spend your time and money. And you want somebody who understands what the consequences are like what what does google do how, how much does it cost do we need to know what cost per um, uh, customer acquisition looks like and, and you probably do by the way and so you should hire somebody for that in most cases but from the visionary perspective this brand strategy you got to own a lot of that uh, if you're a big company and you need somebody really doing deep market analytics or if you're sophisticated really competitive but you might need some really razors sharp expertise in that but as the visionary you got to own your identity on some level and you got to empower and push yourself into that meeting and say that's no that's not us like great idea sound like the, the, the costs make sense but that is not who we are we are this and that is your job and you must stand firm and if you can't stand firm you might not know <laughs> what your identity is and you better go find out you agree yeah, i I do. And Mark, can I say this for your audience uh, who, because we're talking about the visionary who has to make this hire, or maybe the visionary has been in this role and they've had multiple people in the role and they just haven't gotten it quite there yet. I'm going to share something with your audience right now that I think as the visionary, they should, they can appreciate. And here's this, my, my agency, we've been successfully hiring and growing marketing staffs in our agency, and then obviously transitioning those and giving advice to companies from a consulting standpoint. Let me tell you the four 
everyone gets uh, puts an ad out there for a marketer. You can call the marketer whatever you want. Facebook ad, Google ad, it don't matter what the title technically is of the marketer. But if they say that they're a digital marketer, here's something really interesting. Don't hire someone who has a degree in marketing. I'll say that again. I'm going right. to tell you the I'm going to I'm going to tell you the four disciplines that if they studied this in college and they happen to have drifted into the digital marketing space, you're going to be in good shape. And let me tell you those four disciplines. The first one is creative writing or journalism. Um. Nothing online happens without written word. Nothing mm. happens without written copy. So if you find someone who's got a creative writing background, journalism background, that's an interesting, if they found their world, their way to digital, they're going to be really important to a lot of aspects of digital. Number two, this is going to strike people a little odd, criminal justice or law. If they have a law degree or they went down a criminal wow. justice path, let me explain why. There is both the objective and subjective way of building an argument, right? There are law facts and then there are application to the facts. There's a lot of critical thinking that goes on in the world of law. You cannot be in law without the ability to critically think. In digital marketing, you're going to get data. There's no shortage of it. In fact, it's blow. It, 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 it's, it's mind boggling. Everyone yeah, wants to tell you. If you've ever hired a digital firm and they give you that freaking report, it's thirty-two <laughs> like, pages long. That report, how and they're you, so proud of it. They're so apart, proud of that thing. Exactly. How do you pull apart that data and figure out what matters? Okay, so criminal justice law. That's another one. Uh, here's another one that throws people a little bit off, and that is psychology. If they've got a background in psychology, you have someone now who can also now start to understand brand psychology, consumer behavior. These are critical components to being successful in digital. And the fourth is economics. I mm. have, so listen, this isn't necessarily that I put in the ad in my job descriptions that a requirement is you have to you have to have a degree in these areas but when i see and i've been doing this now for i've been looking at i don't remember when i've gotten this information but it, it comes back to this idea that to be successful in marketing especially digital you have to have what's known as a t-shaped marketing framework a t-shaped gotcha. marketer means they've got you, you can either build a team that has this T framework, which means there's a broad level of things that happen in marketing, but then there's a deep level of under, understanding and expertise that's required, and it ends up forming a T. Now, with, we don't have visual here, so I won't be able to go much deeper than that. Um, and, and again, if you want me the to elaborate on that, the T is easy to imagine, actually. And, and, and I, Google's made this famous, and I, and I think it's a great concept. And it's and sure. So, yeah. So, the yeah, idea, though, is just how imagine do you apply the T, right? <laughs> Yeah. But the issue, though, is getting the right people in the seat. See, a lot of people that come in, you yeah. would think it, it, someone with a marketing background or a marketing and advertising degree would be the perfect fit. And unfortunately, I found, I have found that they're really book smart at the words. They use the, they use yeah. the vernacular very well. But it's funny that the critical thinking aspect to succeed in digital far exceeds what I would have ever thought. Uh, by the way, I have a degree in finance and I studied hmm. portfolio theory. So I wanted to go work on Wall Street initially. That was one of my first passions, one of my first loves. I got a degree in finance. My degree didn't even show up in this list when I was working with this consultant. But I also couldn't understand why I was successfully able to come over and become such a strong person.
person in the in the world of digital analytics and conversion optimization and it had to do with my critical thinking about building a portfolio in college and being able to think mm. about risk management and also small data i remember building my first portfolio in one of my exercises to graduate from oh, school yeah. i had to i had to buy five stocks i had to buy five stocks and build a portfolio and i had to go do fundamental analysis and the whole bit that's not very that's not a big portfolio five stocks not a big portfolio however what i'm saying is these four uh, disciplines. If you see someone in their background that they've got those disciplines and they've now made it to the marketing world, you've got someone, you know, there's I love more what you said. In fact, I, I want to pause involved. on that concept, yeah. that concept of the small numbers. Uh, I've seen this through the years and, and, and it was really kind of rude awakening, not rude awakening, it was disappointing to me at first when I started doing marketing and I would look at the data come in and we were trying to do analytics from a very logical perspective and we'd get like, the smallest little numbers. Okay, we got four leads. Okay, or two leads, or one. <laughs> and, and you're like, okay, what conclusions can we draw from this? Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know? And yeah. so, and you really, have to be able to make no, you have to make sense out of small numbers. Yeah, so it takes some real judgment. You've got to have some real context, and you're going to have to pull a lot of information that's not in that spreadsheet from a conversation with them. You're going to have to pick up the phone and talk to that prospect and, and go on gut feel and draw some hypotheses about the people you talk to who were not in the sales funnel or not in the marketing funnel. And you're right, and I've seen so many marketing organizations I've worked with, they just they live in that damn spreadsheet, and they're just watching yeah. the numbers go up and down. And, and, and you ask them, what does that mean in a qualitative way? way they have absolutely no idea yeah one of the things with small data that you can use and this is something we a lot of times we work with companies that did have done really well offline and maybe they're just getting started online or just taking online uh seriously for either the first or second time and the data is going to be small right we can't compare yeah. it to you know some of the things they may have been doing offline with their investments so what's interesting about small data and this is where Again, slightly tactical, but it's just the same way we would do it offline. We'd ask a question. You know, Mark, if mm -hmm. I want to know something about you, Mark, how long have you been in business? That's a question. It's a, it's a very, it's an easy answer question. It's factual. So I always say that in the world, and what I've learned in selling is, if you ask a question that requires a fact, not an opinion, you can start to segment what's really going on in their mind. And in the absence of a true fact where you, let me give you an example. Someone hits your form and you get four leads. So let's just say you're running a campaign, you get four leads, you spent $2,000, whatever. Let's say you, your product or service sells for $50,000. So $500 cost per lead, okay, I can make that work if we can figure out exactly what's uh, the end game for this customer and if they're our prospect, our five-star prospect that we were talking about before. Well, you only got four leads, so you don't know if the campaign's working, but you spent $2,000 and now you got to re-up the next month and your CEO's <laughs> like, right? Your CEO's like, well, we only got four leads and nobody closed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so why am I re-upping? Yeah. So here's what's interesting. You take the four leads and you, no matter where they are in the process, and you, and you can do this really at the beginning. And it's better at the beginning than 30 days after they've touched base with you because they're less likely to reply. In the beginning of almost every marketing campaign, we try to do something called an engagement sequence. That engagement sequence, and a lot of times you don't get the phone number online. Let's be clear about that. The more information mm -hmm. you ask from a stranger, the less information, the less chance you're going to get them to convert. So we want to minimize friction with a stranger who doesn't know our brand, even if they may be searching for the problem, a, a solution to the problem that we can solve. We try to minimize what we ask on the initial conversion. Then we'd like to try to do something called an engagement sequence or do engagement dialogue. And it's so simple. 
It's simply this. Instead of bombarding them with an eight an eight email drip system, which is what a lot of people I see people doing, you know, here, you, you came through, set up a meeting, buy this, do this, go here. Why don't we just ask them a question? What problem were you trying to solve today? Hmm. So that's an open-ended question, which gets a less re- it gets less replies. But to your point earlier, if we really understand the problems that our clients have, then you send them a multiple-choice email. In my world, for example, there are four key things that people want to solve when I get asked to come to the t- conversation. They lack strategy. They lack um, they lack the skill to execute the strategy, even if they think they've got a strategy. They lack the time to do all of what it takes to execute the strategy, even if they have the skill. And what I usually find there is a company that's 30, 50, 60, 80 million, they hire one person to do it all, and that person is drowning, right? And going back to the T-shaped marketer conversation, they're not even skilled to do it all. And the fourth thing is, we've been doing this for a while, we're just not getting an ROI. So I can easily send an email, the first email, after you engage with my brand online, and simply say, hey Mark, Noticed you were on the site today. My uh, customers that we tend to work with and help the best have one of these four problems. Can you tell us which one of them applies most to you? It's basically a simple survey. The goal is a reply. And if you get a reply, that is also part of that customer feedback journey, whether you actually sell them or not. And so a lot of people miss that simple step on small data. And it's really, it works really great on big data too. But on small data, that's how you begin mm-hmm. to segment, is the message working? Yeah, so a couple of things I want to. So, do you send both of those? You send the open ended and then the multiple choice? No, I would usually, no, I'm usually going to send if I have a clear picture of what my client's problems are. If okay. I'm seasoned, you know if I'm a seasoned business, perfect. yeah, I, I, I yeah, know what I those three you. or four things are. And, you know, so again, the other mistake there, just to just be tactical, is the human brain, uh, there's a, you know, paradox of choice is a real challenge. You mm-hmm. have to be mindful of the paradox of choice. The brain, I've learned so much about psychology, you would have thought that I spent, uh, you know, 10 years in psychology, but because you, when you do the reps in sales as much as I've done, I did 7,000 consultations in the mortgage industry. I sold 1,700 loans Please. there. I was in real estate. You, when you do enough, and I have 11 years now working with agency, uh, in, in the agency world with business owners, both consulting, coaching, agency, clients, et cetera, you see patterns. The paradox of choice, which, which is how we actually started this conversation, right? There's so many yeah. things you can do, yeah. and it hurts the brain. The brain is tired. The brain's job is to help you conserve energy. So let's be good marketers, and let's not ask our client or our prospect to waste energy. Give them a simple way to respond. And if anybody wants to look up the, uh, I think it's called the grape jelly experiment or the grape jam experiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was done some time ago about. where there was 33, a custom jam store had 33 types of jam or jelly on the shelf and couldn't understand why people weren't buying. Well, there's too many there's too many flavors. You know, remember Baskin yeah. Robbins, 31 flavors? It, you know, I'm not sure For if sure. they're still around. <laughs> Too many choices. But they are, and there's actually so way the more than 31 flavors. Actually, actually, it's actually catchy. But the, your point is exactly yeah. right. And Malcolm Gladwell brings it up, I think, in, in at least one of his books. And uh, Daniel Pink also brings it up in, uh, in at least one of his books, where when you give people 23 choices, you sell less than when you only give them you four get or five. They make no choice. 
yeah, yeah. They, it's too. There's too. Yeah, it's too many hair splitting. You make it really closer to binary, and people people make choices. You, you just nailed it, Mark. I can't tell you how many times I use the word binary. Like every stage of your decision of <laughs> no, I'm serious. You you yeah, just yeah, took, well, I love that word. I, I laugh because I love that word. The, and people are people who know me are like, it, oh, God, if we can don't make, encourage them. <laughs> yes, sir. If we can make our decisions more binary, we will get further faster. Right? Are we going to do Facebook ads or are we going to do LinkedIn ads? Not Facebook ads, LinkedIn ads, YouTube ads, Instagram ads, TikTok. No. Which of the? Where does our customer live? And let's make a choice. And until we figure it out on that platform, come on, man. So. Yeah, I, I struggle with that too. That exact issue, that exact issue. And you're like, oh yeah, that hurts. But, but I, I feel know like answer. I'm going to miss something, right? I feel like I'm yeah, going to miss something yeah. if I'm not over here. Right? Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask something. Oh, so, well, I forgot. I totally lost it again. That's okay. If <laughs> what, it goes we, back, we'll what, it. what was the lead into that we were talking about? Oh, oh, I know what it is. Um, so I, I think the the clear path in selling and in marketing. And it's harder in marketing, I think, because we don't think to do it. Is to we got to gain rich information, and particularly in digital, it's very not rich. It could it has the potential to seem like it could be rich because we could ask a million questions, which a lot of people try to do. Which to your point breaks the whole process. Eight great drip email and all the stuff that goes with that. But I uh, like when I'm working with a company who's working towards an automated online process to sell their stuff, and they really don't know that the, what the customer needs. I'm like, you okay? Forget that for a minute. You call them. <laughs> you know, get get a lead. And, and you yeah. know, before you're ready to automate this whole process, say it's a cost, uh, you know, it's a $10 purchase. Like, well, you, oh, we don't have the money to, to, to call every single prospect. Like, well, you, for your marketing budget, for your brand strategy, you'd better spend that time and money to understand what's on their mind. If they say, hey, I'm interested, your next question needs to be, why? What, what made you come to me today? What's, what would solve the problem for you? And you have to somewhere in your process, and I think at all times, I think, I think a lot of companies who get comfortable in growth, they stop asking the questions, they understand the buyer persona well enough to be consistent, and they, and they delegate the selling and closing to, uh, to their marketing and selling teams, and the visionary gets detached, and kind of the business is, is operating at a steady maintenance or, or, or somewhat growth clip. And then a pandemic comes, and suddenly everything's changing, and mm-hmm. they don't know how to get feedback from their customer in terms of what's what matters to you and they don't have those clear relationships and they don't have the trust to get the answer but the end the the answer to the problem is the same you got to go back to the prospect and at a time when they're thinking about something they need you got to say tell me more what's on your mind what's what would mm-hmm. what would really matter to you and if you don't have that information one way or the other you you are losing touch with your customer yeah you just can't buy your way to get information so that's a great point yeah, that's a great way to say that. I didn't. Even, yeah, so when we we you try to buy, we can more get money. some intel. You can size right. the market. Uh, you can yeah. you can determine whether this is worth the pursuit or not. But you're not going to lever up your close rate. Uh, you're not going to level yeah. up your exact target market where you have very very satisfied, very very loyal clients and customers who feel like you understand them without rich conversations of listening and observation. And so you have to build into your process as a leader, as a marketer, as a salesperson, as anything. You've got to have a channel to observe and and get that rich, very. T- intangible information that goes back and fuels some very tangible steps in the process, which might be one of the four, which one of the four problems is, is hitting you right now. There's 4 million yeah. things you could put in that box and, and you have to be very educated to know the top four. 
Yeah. You know, with the, it's funny we're talking about this now because something is, uh, I'm talking about this next week, and it is this idea that customer service can be a profit center, and not just customer service, customer support, oh, yeah. whatever you call it after the fact, can be a profit center, not just from a cross-sell, upsell standpoint, but from the the, the data going back up to the, the, the top mm-hmm. of the funnel, the top of the channel, right? And that's where a lot yeah. of companies make mistakes. You know, in my, in my world, we're always saying, what is the experience? What is the customer experience like after they're your customer? And that is both if they're happy, if they're sad, and are we taking a chance to really understand that? And one of the processes that, that we use has to do with a very simple thing. It can start with as simple as an MPS, and then from there, the follow-up on any about anybody there who are detractors or anyone who just couldn't uh, give you the highest score. And it could be as simple as that if your company's been around for a while. So it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, it doesn't mean you have to spend all your money calling every customer. But if you can get a customer to fill out a simple 10-second survey to make a binary decision, right, on a scale of 1 to 10, how likely are you? to refer us to a family friend or colleague, whatever the question, you know, is applicable. Those that are not, I think NPS is eight or, bu- eight or above, you should be reaching out to those folks, right? And the simple follow-up question to that is, what would make you, you know, right? So if there are seven, what would make you an eight? If you're an eight, what would yeah. make you a nine? You're just asking for the variant, the variable. There's something on their mind that you can pull from. And if so it's those kinds of things. And so maybe you've got a thousand customers, you send out the survey, 20% of them fill out the survey. And now out of those, you've got, uh, you know, hopefully you're doing things well. You got 15% of those people that chose eight or less. Guess who you're calling? That's where you get your data from. That's right. where you get your data. Yeah. So you don't have to overcomplicate it and it doesn't have to be a massive research project, right? Well, so I, I get on the soapbox about this listening and observation, and I and I kind of went back in time to when I was doing that for the first time, and I realized I was a horrible listener. I was a horrible mm. listener. I had a vision, and I wasn't great about figuring out if it was relevant to my clients, and I was pushing mm. on it, and I think it wasn't. I don't think they cared. I think it caused me to spend a lot of time and money and energy that uh, on things that were that were not needed and not real, and I was not willing to. I didn't even know how. I might have been willing to accept the truth, but I didn't even know how to find the truth at the time. <laughs> so I wouldn't. It wasn't. Didn't even give myself the opportunity to accept the truth. But that I, I don't want. I, we're, we've actually covered a lot, and we're kind of nearing the end of our time. But yeah. I don't want to get out of here without hearing your story about how you have learned to make peace with the facts. And, and so that kind of to me might be a way to tie, tie that in. I don't, I don't know, even know the detail of the story, but uh, you know, I do think it's really important, especially right now, that people have a sense of what's real and what's not, and fantasy. Can be very expensive right now oh that's an interesting way i've never heard that fantasy can be very expensive i like that um so i think you're referring to the the uh, some of the mind shift method and the process that i yeah, apply both sh- yeah. how you found the mind shift yeah, yeah for sure so uh, you know the mind shift podcast which is my show i uh people ask me why did i choose the word mind shift and it goes back to a story that i can identify uh, it was a personal life story, has nothing to do with business. Uh, but in 1997, 1998, um, the mother of my two children, my first two children, and I, we split. And uh, on a moment's notice, without telling me, she decided to move to another state. In fact, I walked into you know our apartment at the time and found that they were gone. So at this point, wow. I was forced to figure out how I was going to be a father uh, 
to my to my two boys at the time uh, from 1,075 miles away. Now my first inclination was to go there to where they were, and then shortly realized that really wasn't in the plan. That that was just my reaction. So mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. was one yeah. of a couple of times. So the idea of the mind shift method was I had to figure out how to make peace with the facts. You know, advice I was getting, although it was loving advice, was that oh she shouldn't have done that to you. And let's be clear about something, Mark. Let me just say for the record, I was a jerk in that mm -hmm. relationship. I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. I'm not saying okay. I was, you know, I, I didn't do anything crazy. I wasn't abusive or anything like that, but I made my mistakes. No, no, you know, I always say that if, if your life is screwed up and uh, if your life is screwed up, you were there when it got screwed up. So you can't just blame <laughs> the other person. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> if something's yeah, not going yeah. right, you were there. So take ownership. And that was a lesson I've learned a long time later is that own everything. So long story short, at this age, though, I don't own it. I was making excuses. But anyway, I had to learn how to make facts. And then another fact that I was also dealing with, which was a, a fact that really was affecting me, was that I didn't find out until I was 22 that my father, that I knew as my father, was not my father. He was my stepfather, that my father father uh, uh, chose to uh, marry another woman after he got my mom pregnant. And and so now I, I'm dealing with the facts that, OK, uh, I can't be and I'm not you know, I've forgiven him. There's there's no animosity or anything like that. But I, I have new decisions to make now. So the, the mind shift method has a it comes out of make peace with the facts. I wasn't going to get her to move back to my city. I wasn't going to live there. Uh, the kids are eight and two. I have to figure out what am I going to do? The court gave me visitation and all we, we worked out all the stuff. There was no goofiness. It worked out all the stuff. But I've got to travel to go pick them up to bring them back here. So that means I'm buying plane tickets and traveling both ways until they're 13 years old when Southwest would allow them to fly as unaccompanied mm. minors. And so I've got to do all of that for five years. And so the idea was make peace. And I say in business and life, if we're going to get past the thing, this idea from inspiration to realization or when life knocks us down from breakdown to breakthrough, it starts with making peace with the facts. Step two is to make a decision. Like, what am I going to do? And a lot of times we make decisions by default because we live in the land of reasons or excuses. Well, uh, that shouldn't have happened to me because they wronged me or the company fired me because of whatever or the pandemic is the reason or the excuse at the time of our present history right now in 2021 coming off the pandemic. The reality is the facts are the facts. We don't control the facts sometimes. Yeah, we may have participated. And in the case of a pandemic, we didn't participate. It just happened. So we got to make peace with the facts. Number two, make a decision. In that decision-making process, it's who do I want to be, who am I going to become, and how am, I going to, how am I going to operate now with the facts? And so then, and again, I'm going quickly through it. Uh, the step three, though, is where things get hard. And that is, what is the plan? What is the plan for me to go from this mm -hmm. point of fear, frustration, anger, hatred, any of the emotions? I'm not saying that's what I went through. I'm just saying those emotions are normal. But now after, and this, is, this goes back to a concept that I read about in uh, the Slide Edge book, and that is after when we make a, a decision and then we start to follow a plan of action, and sometimes we need help with the plan, a coach, we need a mentor, we need a mastermind group, we need some help. Sometimes it could be a spiritual leader or guide that has to help us with the plan. The, then the key, though, is you have to renew the commitment to the decision in terms of execution long after the feeling has left you. So my oh, decision yeah. to be a good father started in 1999, which was a year I decided to come back. I moved there for a year, came back. Now the decision kicks in. 
And again, this can mm-hmm. apply to business. If I'm going to make a new decision about marketing or the growth of my business, or I've got to make a new decision. And then once I make it, I've got to stick to what it takes. And the reality is life's not going to just be that easy. So, yeah. and step four, of course, is making it happen. So make peace, make a decision, make a plan, and you might need help with that plan. And then making it happen. And making it happen is the iterative par- process, Mark. And you know this leading entrepreneur. We all as listening to this are entrepreneurial firms. We know that this process exists. I didn't, it's not magical. It's very logical, but it's tough in practice. And so when I'm talking yeah. to people, I'm always evaluating. Have you really made peace with the fact that X? And we talk about that for a while. And we really try to, if we're not at peace with it, there's nothing I can help you. I could be the person, the guide who's at step three with the plan. But my plan is just nonsense if you haven't made peace. If you're still making excuses or you still have a ton of reasons, then you're not actually going to move forward. And this is where uh, I think all of us face this in life. And and, uh, again, this all happened to me. This is my story. This is, you know, and it wasn't until 2020 when something goofy happened and someone close to me said, how do you do it? Like, how do you just get through weirdly stressful things that would just take someone else out? Like some people can end up on a path of, you know, destruction. And, and, and it was a weird thing. And it was a, it was a personal life thing. Again, uh, momentary wasn't anything as significant as, uh, as, two, as 98. And, and there are multiple of these as years go on. But um, that's, that's the plan. Uh, it's a simple process. I've been teaching it through, uh, through uh, our podcast and through our co- coaching community. And I think it's, it, it detaches from this tactical thinking. It detaches from even strategy. It gets back to the mind. And are we willing to do battle with our mind? And if we can do mm-hmm. battle and win that more often than not, that's what actually helps us get through those tough moments in life. Because the reality is no one said life was easy. No one said this journey was okay. I mean, it, you have to be a little bit... Uh, naive <laughs> to think yeah. that it's just well, going to be was, that easy, and sure. it doesn't. Yeah, and it doesn't matter yeah. if it's personal yeah. business. You know, I lost thirty eight pounds. I was not that. Not that thirty eight is super super overweight, but I was thirty eight pounds overweight. You know, seven eight years ago, and I had to. I had to make a decision. I had to make a. You know, I had to make peace with the fact that I've been eating bad for a while. I didn't put on 38 pounds in 10, 10 weeks. So why do I think I'm gonna lose thirty eight in ten weeks? Right? It's just silly. And so I, I went on a yeah. one pound a month process. And so it's like, that was my plan. Not to say you can't go on a 10 week diet crash and lose whatever. So anyway, that's the, that's the methodology. And it seems to resonate with people as I share it with them. And, and again, we detach from the thing that we're actually really working on to get into the mind and, and really get pers- get people to, to feel okay with their new decisions. So what I love is that connects uh, and a lot of, de- I mean, personally and business and all that, but, but just to tie it to the subject we've, we specifically got here. I mean, anybody c- can and should use that thinking in anywhere in their life, and it makes sense. But we've already been talking about that. We started the conversation talking about the ability to say no. And when we don't say no, that's that's an absolute, that's denial. That's denial of our ability. That's a denial of, a denial of our power. And we are self-sabotaging. And and your story is one of acceptance. It's, it is a, absolutely, it's like, you know, and it's painful acceptance. And sometimes in business, we're trying to, you know, did our cheese move? Or are we just not willing to do the work? Are we, are we allowing ourselves to be uh, governed by the tyranny of the urgent rather than taking some some pause and reflecting where are we going why are we going there I, I loved you early in the, in the conversation you said you know maybe there's the next n- new no- north star and uh, what is that new north star I find a lot of times people they just 
they're ignoring their existing North Star mm. in, the, in the urgency. And if they take a minute and they say, is the North Star changed? They say, no, it really hasn't. Yeah, <laughs> it's really point. the same. And, and, and we, we should double down on it. It's a pretty kick-ass North Star. Great <laughs> point. Uh, so I just love the idea of acceptance and uh, self-observation. And I do think that that boils down to, right now, the, the reason t- problems of abundance are so hard is because the noise goes gets so loud that self-observation and that ability to reflect goes away. And, and it's easier. It's so much easier to just be ruled by the inbox and the phone calls and other people's priorities. And it is hard. Uh, it's hard. It's easier, actually, in times of scarcity. You're like, I got nothing to do. I guess I'll reflect. But it's like, I got 80 hours of work to do this week. That Oh, I can't possibly reflect. I couldn't possibly take a, a clarity break and observe on what, what I want to do. And what could I possibly say no to? That I've got all these people I will let down. But actually, the urgency is quite a bit higher because you can really damage yourself and damage your clients and damage your reputation and damage the lives of the people who are under your care as a business leader. So I love the story. I love what we talked about. This time has flown by. Uh, Normally, I try to get this cut off by about 45 minutes and um, we just clicked over the hour mark. uh, But I think this has been a lot of fun for me and I'm grateful for the time together. Likewise. Thank you so much for uh, spending the time. It was great. It's awesome for sure, uh, and we'll continue the conversation. We got more to talk about, you know, in, in different in different ways and different different conversations. Is there anything you feel like we missed that you want to make sure we kind of pack in here? You know, Mark, you you uh, I enjoy the conversation. I always love these talks with leaders. I love talking both in the broad and down into the to the technical and the nitty gritty. We've we've done a lot of that today, uh, specifically for your audience. I, I just think, you know. Today, we have an opportunity as leaders in the midst of coming out of this pandemic season, and we're not quite there yet, depending on what time this airs. Uh, I think leaders have four opportunities, and that is to, to be really confident in the face of the unknown, because right now we're not quite sure that we're going to go back to face-to-face conferences and trade shows and all of some of the traditional other ways to build business. So have confidence, though, that you're going to make it. And I think a lot of your clients are confident. Um, I think number two is to really think about contingency plans. What if we don't come out of lockdown sooner than later? Um, I think the other side of it is is capitalizing. Capitalize on what's working now, doubling down, tripling down. Capitalize on areas of the opportunity that your organization is not doing really well in. And those are three ideas that I think uh, as leaders, uh, I, you know, sort of my C framework, you know, <laughs> so really be confident, capitalize yeah. and, and contingency plans. Those are just some, some areas that I'm always focused on and I'm always talking to clients about and uh, maybe we didn't touch on that. So hopefully that was helpful. Okay, good. So what is your passionate plea to entrepreneurs right now? You know, it For sounds simple. Most. It sounds simple. Shift your mind and you'll shift your results. It sounds yeah. simple, but that's how I live. And that's my urgent plea. Shift your mind with whatever it is you're working on if you want a new destination, if your North Star doesn't look as north as it used to, shift your mind and it'll shift your results because in between that will shift your actions, your plans. And uh, so that's as simple as I could say it. I love that. And, and it's important to underscore that that is not a, um, an effortful 
on-demand thing. You can't schedule thirty minutes Monday morning to shift your mind. <laughs> it takes some. It, it takes some. It takes some. It takes some. Uh, some some reflection, some some white space, some clarity, and you might have to do it on on a on a, on a vacation or a clarity break in, during the week. Uh, but giving giving yourself that space to reflect and ask yourself, what am I doing? Is it working? Uh, am, I, am I what am I feeling? And it doesn't necessarily come when you want it to, but uh, but if you give it the space, it will it will find you. Uh, if, you, if you're patient. So, man, I love this. This is awesome. If somebody wants to continue the conversation with you, how do they find you? Uh, two places they can find me most easiest. Uh, the MindShift Podcast is on all podcast networks wherever you listen to a show. Uh, the MindShift Podcast is everywhere. And then number two, if they'd like to connect with me on my website, DarylEvans.net, and uh, they can connect with me there. Awesome. Well, that's it for t- today, everybody. Uh, if you found this useful, please share it with somebody else who you also might think it's useful. Uh, and if you've got feedback for us, we love it, good and bad. It's uh, it's so powerful, so helpful. Even the little tidbits, just really, really, really meaningful to us. And so uh, we will see you next time on You're Doing It Wrong with me, Mark Henderson Leary. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. For more episodes and to subscribe, go to leary.cc.